Let's fucking do this. Okay, welcome to SVU Pod. Welcome to SVU Pod, especially heinous. I'm Gabe. Welcome to SVU Pod. Oh, <laughs> summertime. <laughs> it's like, God, I don't record for a couple of weeks and I'm like, <laughs> welcome to me, baby. <laughs> I want to get a swimming suit that says, welcome to SVU Pod. <laughs> One of those or one of those extra big T-shirts with somebody that's in a bikini, you know, those fucking tchotchke whatever shirts. I love, yep. And like the is missing the head because it's supposed to be your head. <laughs> All right. Welcome back from the break. Yay. I'm Tasha. I'm Gabe. We did that already. No, we didn't. Yeah, we did. Uh, no, we didn't. I said I'm Gabe for sure. Okay. Okay. Well, I've got the audio. Yeah. And you let me know. Let's move forward. <laughs> but no, for real, let me know, though, because now I'm. I'm crazy. Over the break, oh, I was done. And I could have ADHD. been talking over you. <laughs> yeah. What? You literally <laughs> said, and I could have been talking over you while I was talking. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, it's one of my best qualities. So, yeah. All right. Well, we are on season four, episode 11, Damaged. Yeah. This is a wild episode. Wild. This yeah. is out in the wild this is olivia wild this is the this wild is, what's that movie with that guy where the what <laughs> so this is the wild thornberries <laughs> cartoon yeah <laughs> this is the will smith wild wild west theme song oh my god i swear to god and i think about this a lot in that movie i think you see a little bit of will smith's balls <laughs> there, there's a certain scene where he's naked and he he's like jumping into a water tower and yeah i swear I, you can see some hair and stuff i swear to god i bet it's not really his balls it's probably like it's the, somebody's balls i don't care his <laughs> it's his stunt balls <laughs> also during our break we were on the hunt for somebody to be able to help us with our notes and we just want to welcome Alyssa to our little hi su pod team she's doing like the skeleton notes which she's awesome at she was a former 911 uh, dispatcher yeah which lends itself to incredible note taking for our podcast yeah. all right in the opening scene, we're on a New York City street. A couple's walking and talking about what movie they should get. They're young. It's a weird conversation because yeah. she's like, maybe we should get fucking The Sixth Sense or whatever. And he's like, I can't do this anymore. And she's like, fine, <laughs> yes. we'll get Final Destination. Die Hard or something. And he's like, and he goes, no, I'm breaking up with you. And she's like, fine, we'll get the breakup. No, she like she got it then. Well, no, because he was like, I can't do this. And she's like, you can't rent a movie? He's like, no, this. I told you I didn't want a serious relationship. You knew that. And she's like, you're an incredible bastard. Right. This girl's name is Sarah. She's wearing a Clarissa Explains It All hat and has mm. Elizabeth Holmes face. Hmm. Do you know Elizabeth Holmes? I know the name. She's that fucking biotech engineer bitch she's like oh who wants to give me money for theranos she had that like fake low voice anyway she got in a bunch of trouble all right all of a sudden sarah and her boyfriend are breaking up there's a gunshot 
and all of a sudden people are screaming. The glass shatters behind Sarah from the video store. Mm-hmm. And the dude, his name's John, he falls to the ground. Turns out he was shot and Sarah starts screaming for help while people are rushing to get away. Mm -hmm. We go through the broken window into the video rental store where there's a man. This is just the camera. Sarah's left screaming on the street with her boyfriend Mm -hmm. or ex-boyfriend. We go through the broken window. (laughs) Well, they just broke up. They just broke up technically. I'm wondering if she tells anybody that they were broken up or if she just mourns him as her boyfriend. Yeah. Is that a fucked up thought? His friends know for sure, I bet. Oh, yeah. Or he hadn't broken up with her yet in their minds. And they're like, she doesn't need that. She's going through enough. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Is it the perfect way to get dumped by somebody? Have them immediately die afterwards? <laughs> <laughs> it was going to be really hard. She was going to, like, drive past his house and call him. And he was going to have to block her number. And now, you know what? You got to look for the silver lining. <laughs> Jesus. We go through the broken window into the video rental store where there's a man lying face down with a gun near him. And he appears to have been shot from behind by the Mm. video store employee who's standing behind the counter holding a gun. And he's like shaking and saying, I got him. I got him. Yeah, yeah. A little girl is also on the ground with a gunshot wound. Her older sister, who's also like teenage, is kneeling over her calling for help. And I'm like, oh, I recognize the teen. I'll Mm -hmm. tell you about her later. Yeah, I did too. Outside of the video store now, there's crime scene tape. CSU Jeff Garland and Officer Dewthorn walk over to each other. So Dewthorn is this other guy. We have never met him before. This is the first time we're meeting him. He's clearly going to be a big part of this because as they approach each other, he rips his sunglasses off like he's fucking David Caruso in CSI Miami. Right. He He has like a leather jacket and he's like smoldery. and Ew. And immediately I'm like, oh my God, he looks like that guy from Clueless. What's his name? The rolling with the homies. That guy. Oh my God. Yeah. And it's just the jacket that puts me there with him and his like dark hair. God, what's his fucking name? Somebody is screaming right now. Some clueless head out there who listens to our show is screaming. Uh, oh but anyway. God. In Wausau, there was a little party going on and this girl was dressed like, you know, in the yellow mm-hmm. outfit that Cher wears or whatever. Hot. And we were like, yeah. oh my God, clueless. And she was like way young. So she was like, oh my God, mm-hmm. I can't believe you guys got it. It's <laughs> <was> like, oh. <laughs> Oh, that's right. You were born in like oh, 2010 my God. or whatever. She's oh like, God. you know, it's super niche. And we're like, do you know what movie every single person saw that year? Yeah. Oh, oh my, my God. God. I can't believe you guys got it. <laughs> I didn't think anybody would get it. I'm like, okay, you're wearing. Okay. Just, I can't. Okay. <laughs> anyway, Do Thorn is played by Eric Palladino. What a great last name. Yeah, it is. He plays some form of law enforcement countless times in his career and... He was on Suits. No way. He was. Yes. He was also in a 1998 movie that isn't worth mentioning, but I want to because it's called The Week That Girl Died. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I couldn't. Uh, branch off too quickly. Like, we just got into this. We're like a minute and a half into this. And I'm just like, Tasha, you cannot watch this fucking movie right now. Oh, my God. Jeremy (laughs) was so tired in the writing room. He was like, can we just call the week that bitch died or whatever the fuck? Did he he also write that movie? (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like it did. I can guarantee it did. The week that girl died. It was the working title. And they're like, you know what? This really works. It's it's one of those movies where they say the line in the movie and they're like, hey, this... (laughs) Perfect. Remember the week that girl died? (laughs) 
Okay, let's keep going. We're, we're, anyway, is, yeah. CSU Jeff Garland is filling him in on the situation. Six-year-old mm-hmm. Rebecca Kurtz, the little girl that was shot, was taken to the hospital. Her older sister, Missy, is seen being walked out of the store by a cop to be checked out by EMS. Mm-hmm. Duthorn bends down and uncovers John, the dude from the couple that was arguing outside of the store. He's been shot in the chest. Mm-hmm. Inside the video store, these guys are going over the robber guy, Eric Campbell. He's on the floor. There's a black mask and a gun lying near him, and he's dead. And he was also left uncovered. Which is interesting. It is interesting. CSU Jeff Garland recounts witness statements from three people that Campbell attempted to rob the store with a mask on, gun in hand. Mm -hmm. Duthorn does a short reenactment of the crime and comes to the conclusion that something spooked Campbell, and CSU Jeff Garland agrees. Like, touches his nose. He's like, you got it, boy detective. (laughs) Ding, ding, ding. He's like, yeah, Rebecca must have dropped a VHS because it's 2000. They didn't have DVDs yet? They did. It just was a fancy people thing, I think. Was it? Okay. I think it was like, yeah, halvesy, halvesy about like of what they had at the video store. I think that year, was this 2001? 2003. Oh, yeah. Right? Because weren't we getting DVD? I mean, 2003, we're getting like, I don't know. It feels like it was very, Blockbuster was fully uh, fucking DVD by this They might have had both because, I mean, people were still transitioning. Also, I remember watching like The Matrix on DVD and like all of my friends like gathered around like, oh my God, you gotta see it on DVD. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. So, it was around The visuals are in insane yo they have a menu (laughs) (laughs) so they're like okay yeah rebecca must have dropped a vhs tape which caused him to shoot rebecca and then john okay yeah the clerk hero who shot campbell is getting looked at outside Mm -hmm. so they head out to talk to the clerk his name is joey field he's sitting in the ambulance in shock he's totally in shock yeah duthorn asks joey where he got the gun and joey says the owner keeps it under the counter duthorn just starts comforting him and he's like i'm gonna get you a ride home buddy you're good scoot scoot yeah he then walks back over to our csu dude who had just received a call from the hospital about six-year-old rebecca who is on life support and she has fucking gonorrhea what in the hospital hallway Duthorn is walking with benson stabler while they talk about rebecca's gonorrhea everybody is like what the fuck is going on mm-hmm. the hospital is going to do a rape kit so detective Duthorn describes rebecca's injury a bullet totally sliced through an artery in her chest and the medics resuscitated her while they were in the ambulance but her brain is gone she had like no oxygen for 10 minutes yeah and then stabes goes anything about her gonorrhea and Duthorn, i fucking hate Duthorn, dude he's like mm-hmm. figured i'd leave that to the sex police and then he chews his gum really hard with a satisfied look on his face like <laughs> and leaves. Know, fuck like, you. you yeah theme song okay so missy is being interviewed by munch and toots she's freaking out yes and she's played by ari grainer she's been in a ton of stuff i immediately recognized her from the movie for a good time call which is interesting because i only saw it once but i like really liked it for some reason where she's a phone sex operator and her roommate's like i want to be a phone sex operator too and she's just i just really like her character i guess I don't think I ever saw that. She was also in Whip It, Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, The Sopranos, just a bunch of stuff. I really like her as an actor. Yeah. She's wrapped in a blanket and crying and like absolutely freaking out. She's telling Munch and Toots her side of the story about how they went to the movie store. You know what's going on? Blah, blah. Munch is trying to calm Missy down, but Missy's like, I have to see my sister. She doesn't believe them that she's not dead. Mm-hmm. She starts to walk away to try to find her sister, but Toots is like, hey, it's okay. Rebecca is on life support. We need to calm down. Mm-hmm. Munch and Toots asks Missy a few more questions about Rebecca. So Missy babysits Rebecca, even though she would rather go hang out with her friends. And she's like super regretful because she 
she made Missy go to the video store. Yeah, she's like, I made her come with me. She didn't even want to go. And I wish I wasn't such a little shit about having to watch her all the times. I feel so bad now. Mm-hmm. Missy tells them that their dad usually watches Rebecca after school because he works at home doing like stockbroker shit or something. Missy says that Rebecca is daddy's little girl. And they're like, oh, just like you probably were at that age. And she's like, actually, I was more like daddy's little punching bag. And we're like, what? Turns out it was a different dude. Yeah. Missy tells Munch and Toots that she was adopted by the Kurtzes when she was 12 after being taken away from her dad by social services. Mm. So we're like, "Mm, what's going on here? Uh, I'm immediately going to interrupt you, so I'm going to start right away. Yeah, just go ahead. (laughs) So this next scene, we're about to go into Rebecca's hospital room, but there's a quick shot of Missy and Rebecca's parents talking to a nurse at the very start of the scene, and I gasped so hard and was like, (gasps) the dad? Is the dad from the Wonder Years. <gasps> That's 114 fucking episodes yeah. of the Wonder Years raising me in my childhood. Fuck you, Fred Savage. But fucking 208 acting credits for Dan Loria, this dude. Wait, he comes back fuck, in two. Why? why fuck Fred Savage? Okay. Google it. Okay. Call up Google. Let her know that you need this info. Anyway, Dan Loria comes back in 2011 to SVU as Coach Ray Masters. And I'm like, oh, I hope he's not a sickie because I just love this guy. I know, me too. He's like the quintessential dad. I know. And I don't know if it's because yeah. we grew up with him as a dad. He just looks like a dad forever. Yeah. He's never not looked mm-hmm. like that. He's born like yeah. that. Stabler's like, goals. He's born with a watch and a tie already late for work. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I gotta get out of here. (laughs) Benson tells Stabler that it turns out that Rebecca's dad is super close with her. Mm -hmm. And kind of like, uh-oh. They start to take Rebecca's clothes for testing, and Dad's like, what the fuck are you doing? Watch out for the sandbag, Stabes! (laughs) I know, right? Yeah, the dad's like, what are you doing? Don't take her shit. They're like, well, we need it for evidence and testing. And he's like, I thought you already caught the fucking guy. Right. And they're just like, whatever, chill out. Benson wants to talk to them, and Mom's like, I am not leaving her. And so Benson takes Dad into a different room to talk, and Stabler stays with Mom in Rebecca's room. Mom is now telling Stabler about how Rebecca is brain dead and tells Stabler about adopting Missy and then having Rebecca and just, like, how could this happen? And she says that the dad stayed home to take care of them and just couldn't get enough of them. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, of course, my brain's like, oh, my God, no. Not only is he a well-known, well-established actor, but now they're presenting this, oh, he was a doting father. But it's also super early in the episode, too. So there's a lot of things that just throw everything off. For sure. This is a diversion. They use these all the time. Diversion. In the hospital hallway, Benson is talking to Rebecca's dad, whose name is Peter. Peter asks Benson, what aren't you telling me? Where is Missy? Is she okay? Is she shot? He has no idea. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Benson tells him that they'll get Missy a ride home and breaks the news to Peter that Rebecca has gonorrhea. He's obviously just like, what the fuck? Immediately in shock. Just one more layer of like the most fucked up day in his life. Yeah. Benson says when this usually happens, it's somebody that they know. And he was like, oh my God, it's probably at school. Then Benson's like, hey, I know that you are Rebecca's primary caregiver. And he's like, hold on a second. Mm -hmm. He gets really mad. He thinks he's being accused of raping Rebecca. Benson's like, we need you to consent to a test. And Peter positions his face a single tomato's distance away from Benny's (laughs) face and tells her to go to hell and he walks away he is pissed 
In the precinct, Benson and Stabler are going over the details of Rebecca's schedule with Kragen. Benson really doesn't think that Peter is the one who assaulted Rebecca. Stabler throws in his two cents here and he goes, He came across as a devoted family man, quit his job so he could stay home with the kids. Wish I could do that. And, oh, like, you do, Stabler? <laughs> yeah, bullshit. You know who would hate it if you did that? Calf and the kids. <laughs> Go to work. <laughs> yeah. They like Fuck. you not there. Hey, I'm making a meatloaf. What is he? He's going to fucking miss his doubtfire at his fucking house for his kids. He's vacuuming. <laughs> Dude looks like a lady. <laughs> fucking stabler. <laughs> you are you are a born cop. Just then, Munch and Toots walk in the room and they're like, guess who has priors? Peter. Oh, shit. Five years ago, Missy filed a sexual abuse claim against Peter. Ding. They're really setting this up fucking you get on it <laughs> at the administration for children's services field office a social worker gives munch and toots details first of all i like her i think she, i think she's a good social worker same she gives munch and toots details about missy's complaint while she's rushing around the office she tells them that peter filled them in that missy confused normal affection for sexual advances like he would give her a kiss on the cheek and a hug and she wasn't comfortable with it because of her history mm. missy's dad wasn't only physically abusive to her but he also raped her and quote pimped her out which sex trafficked her to his friends he had died of aids last year and fortunately missy tested negative mm -hmm. she gets a bunch of counseling and ends up recanting against peter yes the social worker said that she wished all of her missies ended up with parents like the kurtzes mm -hmm. and that made me go uh-oh mm -hmm. they are pulling the wool over everybody's eyes these mm -hmm. kurtzes at rebecca's school benson and stabler are doing a walk and talk with the principal benson lets the principal know that rebecca Rebecca has gonorrhea and Stabler lets them know that they would like to test the staff at the school. The principal is worried about violating the staff's privacy, but he's willing to take the temperature of the faculty to see how mm -hmm. they would feel about volunteering. Yeah. Benson goes on to ask him about any behavioral changes in Rebecca recently. And he says that Rebecca has had trouble focusing and he even had to call her parents when she had issues a couple of times with incontinence. And when he spoke to them on the phone, they were like, oh, yeah, she's wet the bed a few times recently. But it's also like not it didn't really raise any red flags for him because she's six, you know, mm -hmm. and that's not yeah. common. Yeah. But on the other hand, it can also be an indicator mm -hmm. of abuse. Yep. Stabler takes a call and finds out that. The Kurtzes want to pull the plug on Rebecca and the two are like, um, sorry, we got to get the fuck out of here. Yeah. And go address this. It's been literally 35 seconds. Yeah. It's been 14 phone calls. I feel <laughs> in this universe. <laughs> fuck. Yeah. You're just good at jokes. I love you. I love you. <laughs> Uh, in Cragen's office, Cabot and Cragen are talking about the Kurtzes taking Rebecca off of life support with Benny and Stabes. Mm -hmm. The Kurtzes want to donate Rebecca's organs, so they need to do this sooner rather than later. But they haven't done the rape kit yet, which mm -hmm. I'm surprised by because don't they do that like right away? Well, you find out that because of her age, they need a specialist. Like later. Oh, that's right. So that's they're right. waiting for yeah. that person to come in. Yeah. Okay. Cabot says that the ME told her if they take her off life support, that's going to fuck up their ability to recover any evidence. And Cabot's mm -hmm. like, dudes, she tested positive for gonorrhea. Doesn't that prove our case? 
Mm-hmm. Apparently not. They need Cabot to buy them some time. She says, no. I'll try. That for them has an instant expectation of 100% she's going to do it. And yeah. if she doesn't, she's going to get spanked. Yeah. So in the courtroom, Cabot, Peter, and his lawyer, Kressler, are in front of the judge. Yeah. Kressler is the bobblehead guy. Yeah. The guy who's like, ah, wiggle, wiggle, wiggle. I don't think so. Watch me get out of a chair. Wiggle, wiggle, wiggle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're in front of trial judge Danielle Larson. This is her first appearance of 10. Fun mm-hmm. fact. She's from Kishena, Wisconsin. Oh, Cabot is trying to get a restraining order against the parents so the detectives can get the testing done before Rebecca is taken off life support. Kessler's like, this needs to happen now because there's a boy that needs Rebecca's liver like Mm -hmm. right now. He might not survive another day. And he also says that the restraining order will prolong Rebecca's suffering. The longer they wait, the organs become less viable due to blood clots because of her brain damage. Mm -hmm. And the blood clots uh, damage the tissue. But Cabot's entire argument for this like against all of those valid points is she's just trying to get justice for a little girl who was sexually assaulted and yeah, is about to die. Because Kessler keeps saying things like, oh, you want this little boy to die? You want to prolong? And she's like, I'm just doing what I have to do for the victim. Mm-hmm. You know, the judge agrees with her. So judge grants the restraining order and Peter leaves in tears, of course. Oh, dad. But I'm also like, why are you trying to do this so quick? Oh my God, like fucking what is going on? What are you covering up? dad it also okay. made sense to me though i'm like i'm gonna trust you dad from wonder years until you okay. prove me otherwise benson and stabler enter rebecca's hospital room her parents are there and ask the detectives to fuck off mm-hmm. rebecca's mom asks stabler if he has children <laughs> he takes a beat he takes a moment before he responds to relish in this moment to relish know, on his hot finally. dog in this moment and goes <laughs> um yeah and if one of my kids were sexually abused i would want to know who did it so i could sandbag him like i'm preparing for hurricane season get them get those sandbags in the back of my truck winter's coming <laughs> peter's like um Okay, sure, sure, sure. What the fuck do you guys want from us? Well, they already told you, but... Yeah, and Benson's like, we want you to take tests for gonorrhea. Like, we want to know that you guys... Come on! I mean, it's the third time we asked, but that's fine. I'll say it again. It's cool. Okay, so in the precinct, Benson is at her desk. Stabler walks in. Benson's like, you look like shit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He's like, yeah, I didn't get any sleep. I was fucking hovering over my children's beds like a creepy ghost and she's like i didn't get any sleep either i'm sorry stabler just said that he was up because he was checking on his kids who were you checking on benson your tomato I who were you checking on? your to- <laughs> your one tomato no should i eat this now or should i wait the window is so small Craigan comes in and lets everybody know that the rape kit for Rebecca came back. She was raped repeatedly. No family members tested positive for gonorrhea. Craigan says, you guys, it actually could have been Peter. So he could have since been treated for gonorrhea and it wouldn't show mm-hmm. up at all. Yep. So that still doesn't tell them anything. Yeah. Okay, now we are in the office of Dr. Daniel Foster, family practitioner. He is such a smug little fucker and I hate I him. I know. He's like leaning yeah. back in his chair. He's like, you guys can't tell me stuff. I can't tell you things about patients. Benson says, yeah, well, a kid has gonorrhea. And if you knew about shit and you're hiding it, you're going down. You're going down like Dickie's fucking turtle in a garbage disposal. (laughs) (laughs) 
Dr. Foster had seen Rebecca for her bedwetting stuff, then he says, I know it wasn't Peter that raped her. Because he had just performed a physical on Peter and found that his urine was clean. Um, And they're like, well, why did you test Peter's urine to begin with? And he's like, well, I wanted to be sure that Peter wasn't abusing Missy because Missy was positive for gonorrhea and was treated two weeks prior. And they're like, Missy? At the Kurtz's house, Benson and Saber tell Missy that they know she had gonorrhea and that they believe that she knows who gave Rebecca the gonorrhea. Peter comes down the stairs and he says, we're trying to plan a funeral here. Don't you have any decency? Missy immediately starts crying and runs into Peter's arms. And he's like, this is all my fault that they're here. He raped me. He raped Rebecca and I couldn't stop him. And they were like, whoa. Missy says that the person who raped her and Rebecca would kill her if she told. Benson tells her that everything is fine. And nobody's going to hurt them now, which she always says, and it never happens. Hmm. Missy tells them that it was Joe, her boyfriend. He's the one who raped her and Rebecca. The clerk from the store. The hero. Yeah, the hero guy. Missy says that Joe made Missy bring Rebecca to the movie store the day she was shot because he thought Rebecca was going to tell on him. And if they didn't show up, he was going to kill Missy and Rebecca. At the precinct, Benson Cabot, Cragen, Cool Guy Duthorn, and Staves are going over how Joey staged the robbery and killed his friend Eric. Missy didn't know that Eric was the shooter until the mask was pulled off. Cabot says that they need physical evidence that the murders were staged. Otherwise, they can only get Joey on the rape charge. Joey's dad is a big shot rich lawyer with a lot of friends in high places, including including, mm, the The new DA. That can't be good. Mm-mm. That might come into play. <laughs> Dewthorn <Will> says. <laughs> Dewthorn says if Missy hadn't said anything, the detectives would never have known. It was the perfect crime. Mm-hmm. Craig goes, "Hey, you don't know there's a trampoline in the room. You're not going to dust the ceiling for prints." Jesus. <laughs> what? Yeah, I know. I was like, mm-hmm. he's right. Yeah. Come on. It's, it's got to be your bowl. You can check a bowl for a T-bone by sticking your head up there. I don't know. I don't know where that came from. I liked it. I liked it too, but I was. But I it's just also moved like I think a writer probably heard that somewhere and was like, "I have got to fit this in. This is good." <laughs> Craig and orders Benson to call the crime lab with updates and orders Munch and Toots to go to Eric's house. At Eric's house, it's just his dad there. Eric's dad walks Munch and Toots yeah, into their boy, place. Huh? Boy what? detective Dewthorn was like, "He's living in a bottle on the side of ABC's." city or whatever fucking abc city City. (laughs) he's living in a bottle on sesame street (laughs) oscar the grouch he is this guy is oscar the grouch so they go to eric's house his dad oscar the grouch walks munching toots in there and he's holding the beer he looks like if kyle gas gave up yeah dude uh he's super slurry too he's like what do you think you're gonna find that the cops didn't He says that Eric is better off dead, and he was surprised that he even had friends. What in the fuck? This is your I think this dead guy son. is in a, he's in a very dark place. Yeah. The detectives tell him that Eric wasn't even robbing the video store. It was a hit. And the dad's like, he's even more of a loser than I thought. And this dad Jeez. makes me very sad. I know. Toots peeks into Eric's room, and there's a bunch of stereo equipment in there. So Eric's dad's like, yeah, go check it out. Some real high-tech shit. <laughs> A boombox the size of a dresser was in there. There's a stereo, there's a TV, there's a fucking DVD player, an answering machine. Munch is like, whoo, whoo. this fucking receipt flutters down like the yeah. fucking feather from Forrest Gump onto Munch's shoulder. And he's like, oh, what's this? It's a receipt that says, 
It's a receipt that says that all this shit was bought a week ago. And he's like, check out this answering machine. And he plays an old message on this answering machine. We don't get to hear it until we're back at the crime lab. Benny Staves, Toots, and Hot Bomb Squad crime lab guy are listening to the message on Eric's new answering machine. This message is from Joey. Okay, so back in answering machine days, you could answer your home phone if somebody was already leaving a message. That's why in this message, he's like, Eric, are you there? Answer, pick up. But sometimes when someone would pick up, the conversation would end up being recorded. Oh, shit. They're listening Mm -hmm. to this recording, which is Joey telling Eric to be there at three. And the shooting was right after three. Mm -hmm. Hot Bomb Squad crime lab guy goes over the scene based on measurements and gunshot residue on Rebecca's shirt. He did this entire little Dexter testy thing. His conclusions are Eric shot at Rebecca twice. He Mm -hmm. missed the first time and moved closer and aimed lower for the second shot. So that first shot is what went through the window. Yeah. The fact that he had to like adjust to kill a tiny girl, Mm, you know know what I mean, is so fucked on its own. Yeah. Benson and Stapler ring the doorbell at Joey's house. Joey answers, and he asks if Rebecca is okay, if she's alive, what's going on. Benson and Stabler are like, hey, come outside. The mayor wants us to give you a hero award. And just as he steps over the threshold, his dad comes down the stairs, and he's like, what's going on? Oh, don't go outside. Mm -hmm. And they fucking grab him and arrest him. Yep, for all three murders. All three murders. Joey's dad is like, I'm an attorney. You need a warrant. And they're like, not if he steps outside, bitch. (laughs) So they kind of like did a little tricksy tricks. We got tricks. Benson Stabler throw Joey in the back of a fucking squad car, and Joey's dad is yelling in the background. And they're like, (laughs) they drive away. (laughs) So in the precinct, Kragen and Cabot are behind the glass in Kragen's little cabbage patch. Oh my God, his little (laughs) cabbage patch face and butt. Can you imagine? (laughs) Oh my God, I want you to draw all of them as cabbage patches. Maybe I will, actually. That sounds really cute. It does sound really cute. And they all have that little inscription on the butt. Mm -hmm. Oh, and their little one thread that makes their butt cracks. Yes. (laughs) Stabler's cost more because there's extra cotton used in it. (laughs) For his juicy donk. (laughs) All right, Craig and Cabot can see Joey and his dad, like, arguing in the other room but they can't hear him because of you know client privilege mm-hmm. which sucks like they can't hear what the dad's saying because he's also the lawyer yes cabot for sure doesn't think that joey's dad whose name is malcolm field by the way can get mm-hmm. joey out of the charges malcolm enters the room with cabot and Cragen. he tells cabot and Cragen that they're not going to get joey and there's no way that they can prove the robbery wasn't staged this dude is actor michael gaston he plays gaston? dean on the leftovers gaston Wait, dean yeah. Dean, I love that show. I know. You finished it, right? Oh, yeah. I loved it. He's also been on four episodes of SVU over the years as different people. He's been in a ton of series. He's like a major series guy. Mad Men, The Mentalist, Damages, The Man in the High Castle, like a million others. Mm-hmm. He was also Agent Bob in the 1995 hit Hackers. <gasps> yeah. I love that movie. I know. The password is God. <laughs> At the arraignment, Joey is represented by his dad on three counts of murder in the first degree and two counts of rape in the first degree. Pushbrew mm-hmm. mustache judge has the lawyers come up right away and addresses Joey's dad as Malcolm. Oh, that's right. They're fucking pals. The judge mm-hmm. asks him if he thinks he should rep 
Joey as his lawyer because he's like, you know, you're Joey's dad. So like, I don't know if it's a good idea. Elbow, elbow. Cabot mm-hmm. calls him out for being really acquainted. And the judge literally waves her away and says, relax, Miss Cabot. That is, it was mm-hmm. the most dismissive shit. Yeah. He tells his BFF Malcolm that he can't help him out. Wink. Come on, mm. buddy. Yeah. Which I love. Yeah. Like, thanks for not fucking, for once, not being all shitty. Yeah. They go back to their little posts. Joey pleads not guilty. Cabot argues that Malcolm should not get to have Joey in his custody. Because now they're talking about, well, should he get to leave or do we have to hold him? And the judge is like, yeah, I agree. Joey's remanded without bail. Yeah, it's murder. It's murder. Yeah, it's murder. You can't be walking around after after being charged with whatever. It's a murder charge. And his dad's like... As an officer of the court, I promise that I'll blah, blah, blah. And yeah. Cabot's like, uh, no. And the judge is like, yeah, sorry, no. That was mm-hmm. him sweeping up afterwards with his giant mustache. <laughs> this judge's mustache is cartoonishly huge. <laughs> yeah. In the DA's office, Banff, Donnelly, Cabot, and Kressler, Missy's lawyer, discuss the prosecution of Missy. Kressler's all fucking blah, blah, blah. And Donnelly's like, Get out of my fucking ass. I mean, she literally yeah. says, get out of my ass, right? Or get off my Does ass. Does she? Or something. Yeah, she says ass because I was like, ha <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so Kressler wants immunity for Missy if she testifies against Joey. This way, Missy won't be prosecuted for delivering Rebecca to Joey to be murdered because mm-hmm. she knows she's a victim, right? Yeah. She needs a deal. So yeah. Donnelly's like, I'm sending the paperwork. Kessler thought that they were going to pull something shifty, like, oh, she's off the hook now, but maybe later you'll find some fucking, well, you know, I want immunity right. now. You guys are going to come for her then, and I need my innocent victim to just be guaranteed that she's in the clear. Yeah. I like how Donnelly's like, you know us better than that. It's like, yeah. <laughs> you make, <laughs> I saw an episode where you made two children cry. <laughs> yeah, and you loved it. You're fucking cutthroat. In the precinct, Benson and Stabler are working real hard to try to look through the jury stuff. Cabot walks in with a folder that has Malcolm's motion to suppress the recording on Eric's answering machine. When Joey yeah. called and was like, come at three, which is a real great piece of circumstantial evidence. Yep. Fucking boy detective, cool guy, Dewthorn walks in and says <laughs> that Joey is calling him in as a defense witness. Because Joey's fancy lawyer dad knows Dewthorn will have to testify that there were no witnesses that corroborated Missy's story. Mm-hmm. Cragen walks in and he's like, hey, dudes. <laughs> I got some shit on this VHS tape. It's super fucked. We found it when we were searching the Fields house. It's terrible. Let's all gather around and watch it because it's so bad. He says all of that. Yeah. (laughs) So they're all in a room. The tape is playing. Missy and Joey are standing around a bed that Rebecca is on and she appears to be asleep. But Missy and Joey are arguing about doing something to Rebecca. Okay. Missy really wants Joey to like do some shit. Missy goes, she's knocked out. She won't feel it. So she's not asleep. She's on top of the sheets and everything. Like she's not like nestled, snuggled into bed. She's laying there as if she's like drugged or something. Yeah. Joey really doesn't want to do anything. He's like totally against it. Then Missy does this little like, there's a place in front. She like crawls over the bed. And I know. And starts to like kiss him. And she's like, do you want a little more? Ew. He's like, yeah. She's like, well, then you'll do what I say. Oh. And then he sits on the bed next to Rebecca and we're done with the tape. Everybody's just shocked because they hear they thought Missy was this absolute victim in all of this. She probably lied about being raped, and maybe she's the one who planned all these fucking murders. Yeah. Oh, my God. Ugh. In Rikers Island, we're in an interview room with Joey. He's in a gray jumpsuit. He has cuts and bruises on his face. Is this from being in prison? 
getting beat up. I, didn't I think so, part, yeah. But, yeah. Craig and Cabot are in the room with Malcolm and Joey. Malcolm is like, oh my god, son, just tell the truth. Missy is blaming you for the murders. He does not believe them. He's like, Missy loves me. She would never. Yeah, Malcolm's like, dude, son, you could get the fucking death penalty, dude. Joey tested negative for gonorrhea because Cabot made him get a test. They get a physical upon entry into jail. Oh, yeah. And he tested negative. Cabot tells him that that means that he was either treated or Missy has been having sex with someone else. And that becomes the big deal. He's like, no, she wouldn't cheat on me. Yeah, I know. I'm like, you stupid, stupid child. Like, You could go to prison for three murders. What? How yeah. dare you? Missy would never cheat on me. Oh, We're in love. Me. Jesus. <laughs> Cragging like flips a chair around and sits on it cool dad style like right behind him and he's like do you really want to protect someone who cheated on you so do you see how i turned this chair around and straddled it would a guy like that lie to you <laughs> you can trust me brah you ever seen saved by the bell yeah. i come off as the mr belding but i'm the ac slater <laughs> yeah i was gonna say that mr belding part <laughs> <laughs> uh, i ain't no screech <laughs> munch is like i'm the screech <laughs> So Craigan's having an emotional moment with Joey. Yeah, so Craigan's like, I'm cool, you're cool, we're bros. Joey and Malcolm begin to cry. Craigan's like, we know that you were forced to do this stuff. Like, it mm -hmm. wasn't that you didn't want to do it. Joey starts to tell him what happened. He met Eric at the movie store, and Eric introduced him to Missy. And he was like, I've never been with anybody like that before. And I'm like, who, who else have you been with? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's the love of my life. Oh, teenagers. Yeah. It was like being high. Like you probably don't even know what it's like to be high, dude. Because it's better than this, I think. <laughs> yeah. You ever try heroin, Joey? Just saying. Wrap your head around it. That's it. <laughs> you ever been in the K-hole? Do some acid with Gabe on Christmas. I don't know. Cuttlefish, my dude. I got you. We'll get over this together. Uh, Joey says that Missy would drug up Rebecca and do things to her. But one time Rebecca woke up and said she was going to tell on them. So Missy paid Eric and Joey told him what to do in order to kill Rebecca. Like, you know, there was a gun and the thing and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Joey said it was all Missy's plan. Missy would make Rebecca drop the tapes. Eric would shoot Rebecca. And then Joey would shoot Eric, so there would be no one to trace anything back to them. They were also setting up their buddy Eric, too. Yeah. Well, because you can't leave any loose ends. Yeah. And then Cabot's like, fuck, we're screwed because of the immunity granted to Missy by the DA. Boo. Now Cabot's working at a table in what looks like a law library, and here comes Liz Donnelly. Donnelly lets Cabot know that... Hold on a what? second. I just want to say something. Yeah. This was a total bitchy move. Mm. Cabot had a super thick book open you know, yeah doing some research donnelly's like i want attention i'm talking to you give me attention doesn't even do a dog ear on the page or put a little piece of paper nothing just shuts it just fucking shuts it i'm like donnelly close up what a bitch she is such yeah, a she bitch came up to her and she was like cabot 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 and then just closed her book to get her attention i'm like you fuck don't Dog I would that sandbag shit somebody who did that shit to me. And it was a thick ass book. It was like the last Harry Potter book thick. <laughs> she was like, Maybe I was about more. to solve this case. Yeah. I had my and finger that, on the words that were gonna bloop. Yep. And that bitch. And the pages look like Bible thin pages. Like that's a thick ass book. It's not gonna be easy to find where you are. And you're trying you have a day. You have a day to get this shit figured out. Like, fuck you, Donnelly. What are you doing? Yeah. Stealing what are fucking you doing? ice cream cones from kids on the pier, you bitch. Fucking <laughs> slapping books out of elementary school kids' hands as they walk inside of the school. Doing that thing where you go, uh. <laughs> <laughs> Just to random people. 
You don't flinch. Crossing paths with a baby in a cart at a grocery store and giving him the finger. <laughs> so Donnelly lets Cabot know that Branch gave the okay to move forward with the death penalty for Joey. And she sits down. Cabot lets Donnelly know that they got fucking played by Missy, but that a judge mm-hmm. could reverse Missy's immunity. You see this book I was reading? That's what I was figuring out. So you interrupting Stupid cow. bitch. Did you say you interrupting cow? <laughs> yeah. I love that. <laughs> Donnelly goes, no, j- I'm I'm smaller than a cow. You are. And if you weren't, that would be okay, too. Well, I'm I'm like a baby calf. I'm like Mew. one one utter. So tiny. One teat. You I'm got that real. blue stuff that you're dipped into. <laughs> Am I going too far into knowing about dairy culture? <laughs> like all the stuff, like all the ways that we defend ourselves from being from Wisconsin and the Midwest is like, oh, it's not all just fields and dairy farms. You guys, it fucking is. Like you can't drive from one city to the next without going through just a sea of cornfields and shit that smells like shit. Yeah. What am I even talking about? Okay. She yeah, closed Don- the book because she's a fucking bitch. Oh, yeah. Reverse the immunity. Donnelly's like, no judge is going to give us a second chance on this, dude. And Cabot's like, unless someone else makes the argument for us, eyebrows, eyebrows, mm-hmm. she's going to make fucking Malcolm use his power and privilege for her benefit. Mm-hmm. Cut to yep. Cabot chasing Malcolm Field in a crosswalk. She tells him that they need his help and wants him to motion to reverse Missy's immunity. He's like, no, because Missy's immunity helps my case. But Cabot argues that a jury's going to be looking for justice for a six-year-old little girl and his son is the only one sitting at the defense table and that makes Mm -hmm. him like oh that's true malcolm agrees to help cabot because in turn that can possibly get joey's death penalty dropped in the chambers of judge petrovsky petrovsky i can never say her name and i'm not gonna try again okay (laughs) kressler the judge cabot and malcolm discuss reversing the immunity Malcolm's argument is Missy's immunity violates Joey's right to due process and Missy can't testify against Joey because it would be perjury, but Joey has to be able to confront his accuser. Fancy lawyer's got the judge over a barrel now, doesn't he? He has got her over a Danny barrel. (laughs) Ready to hit that Niagara Falls. (laughs) At first, the judge was kind of like, I don't know. We can't really reverse immunity. But then she does agree that it does fuck with joey's like due process mm-hmm. the judge voids the immunity agreement and asks cabot to stay while field and kessler leave so she can scold cabot for feeding malcolm the argument to avoid the immunity and not be ready for trial she's like i'm tired of you manipulating my court to suit your needs and i'm like isn't that just good lawyering isn't that what lawyers yeah. do yeah right uh also the lawyer's name is kressler you keep saying kessler like kessler's diamonds oh okay She's super pissed at Cabot, just in general. They're always at each other's throats. But she's like, what about the three murders? And she's like, oh, we're just not ready yet. And she's like, you fucking jeopardized my standing as a judge? And you're not ready? Mm-hmm. You have until tomorrow to have everything all lined up. There is more close talking in this episode than I think in any other episode. Yeah. In the precinct, Benson, Cabot, and Stabler bust through those double doors into the main precinct area. And they're talking search warrant. Missy's in interrogation. And Cabot's like, I gotta go fucking find this bitch. The Kurtzes then bust through those double doors themselves. Yeah. They're yelling. Kraken's like, what's going on? Benson and Stabler had arrested Missy. And the Kurtzes are fucking pissed. Stabler lets the parents know that she was raped by Joey and that it was Missy's idea. Mrs. Kurtz is like, nope, not true. Benson and Stabler are like, we have evidence, dude. They don't believe it. And Kragen's like, you guys, you gotta show them the tape. Oh, oh no. Oh, cut to dad's face watching part of the tape, you know, where she's like, 
oh, you want some more? He's like, turn it off. I've seen enough. And they didn't do it quick enough because he fucking rockets into Stabe's face and goes, turn it off. And he's a crying mm. fucking mess. I am here with him. It's like, that bastard gave him both gonorrhea. And this is when they find out that Joey never fucking had it. Yep. Mom realizes what's going on and that this is Missy doing this shit mm-hmm. and fucking just starts wailing. She's like, oh. Like, it was pretty cool. I mean, not cool, but it was, like, uh, good acting. Good acting, you know what I mean? yeah, yeah. Dad comes up behind her and is like, oh, I love you. We're here in this together. She's like, how could we not have seen this? How how could this have just happened? How could we not have fucking seen this? Which is, I'm sure is, like, a thing that parents... Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, mad. yeah. I have, like, chills right now. And I'm not even a mom. <laughs> I have a, a trash can next to me so I can barf every so often because I am a mom. Yeah. Well, that was going to be a joke. Uh, and halfway through, I was like, that's not... I kind of knew it wasn't a joke. And now I like want to talk about it. Hold on. No. Um, you're like, no, I don't want to. <laughs> Stabler asked the parents where Missy would get the $1,000 she paid Eric for the murders. They don't want to answer. You can see. They're like, come on, say something. The dad says, you have to understand, we already lost a daughter. We can't lose Missy by helping you. Mm-hmm. Which is like, what a fucking place to be in. Right. In the interrogation room, Cabot, Kressler, and Missy are all there. Kressler says that Missy's going to plead sexual misconduct. And Cabot Mm -hmm. nearly laughs at him and goes, on a misdemeanor? Cabot then lays out the evidence against Missy and lets Missy know that Joey knows that she's been cheating on him because that's the peak of this. Her fucking body language is all crazy different, and she's oh, just yeah. like, kind of smiling in the background. She, she's like, Joey would never testify against me, ever. She, he loves me. She's yeah. like, well, you've been cheating on him. She's like, oh my god, he knows! <laughs> <laughs> As Cabot's laying all of this out, like, we fucking got you, bitch. All right? And we mm-hmm. have you on videotape fucking mm-hmm. raping your sister. So Kressler's like, you know what? Here's our version of events. He takes Joey's story about what happened, but turns it. He's blaming him, Joey, as a love-crazed teen and painting Missy as basically an innocent bystander, which is complete bullshit. And Cabot is fully gaslit by this because he's saying it as if that's true. And she's like, no, he did what Missy told him to do. Mm -hmm. Kressler is like, a jury won't hold Missy responsible based on her history of the abuse that she suffered as a child. Cabot mm-hmm. looks at Missy and Missy's sassy bratty girl smirks and shrugs like, yeah, it's really gross. Oh my God. Yeah. And also like I have so much, we don't need to do this loop again. Like I have so much empathy for people that have these sorts of, I mean, sh- her history is what created this. Right. You know, what was done to her is. Yes. It still isn't an excuse. I mean, we're all. Oh, of course not. For, yeah. You know, but like, yeah. Right. In Craigan's office, Craigan and Cabot are chatting about all of it. And Craigan goes, so Missy still thinks she's got us over a barrel. Oh, my God. I used that phrase in these <laughs> notes. And it's so weird because I can't remember the last time I ever said that. Yeah. So I see you, Craigan. Cabot says that Kressler will be using the defense of not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect. Cabot goes, we need to get a psychiatrist. So Craigan's going to mm-hmm. send Huang to Rikers to see Missy. And we get to see Huang! Yay! In Rikers Island, Huang is with Missy at a table, and he is asking her some questions. He wants to know all about her biological father. Missy says that her mother died when she was five, and that's when her father started raping her. Huang and Missy kind of go into more of Missy's story and her background 
Missy thinks that she was adopted by the Kurtzes because they couldn't have their own kid. And then when Rebecca was born, they just kept her out of pity. People say they love you, but they really don't. Yeah. And then Wong's like, well, Joey loves you. And she's like, Joey loves sex. He's out for himself, just like everybody else. She's so broken. I know. But like, fuck her at the same time. Yeah. In the precinct, Huang goes over the interview with everybody. He says that she has flat affect, minimal insight, no capacity for em empathy. Stabler calls Missy a sociopath. Cabot says that Kressler's diamonds. <laughs> Cabot says that Kressler will try and spin all of this as untreated PTSD with dissociative features, which yeah. I don't think there needs to be any spinning. I think it's what it is. Huang says Missy can't form healthy attachments. And by the time Kurtz adopted her, it was too late. He also knows that she knew what she had done to Rebecca was wrong, but didn't care. Yeah. It wasn't like she was like, I don't know what's right or wrong. She was just like, I'm doing it. Right. Munch and Toots walk in. Munch has a box, but he does. <laughs> and they just, they had just come from Eric Campbell's room. The whole gang begin to go over the money Missy had access to. A giant cartoon light bulb goes on over Toots' head. And he's like, she may have given something to the hitman instead of cash. And they're like, yeah, Toots. Munch, Munch had found a half of a pawn ticket in Eric's room. Oh my God. Just these fucking receipts that keep fluttering out of nowhere to him. Yeah. Because if they didn't have this, if they didn't have this half a receipt that I would never even have, I can't have a receipt for more than like 30 seconds. This pawn ticket was folded in half, so it made like a little cartoon bird and it fluttered up and it was helping <laughs> Munch make a dress for the ball he was going to. And he was like, wait a second, we can use this in the case we're working on. And then his evil stepsisters came in and they were like, that's mine. And he goes, I can't, I don't have time for this. <laughs> Bring my pumpkin chariot. Grandma? <laughs> Oh my god, fucking Toots is Gus Gus. You know, this this fucking tracks though because Munch always hangs out with rats and shit. Oh my god, he is Cinderella too. <gasps> oh my god. Okay. That uh the pawn ticket that they found was dated two days before the murders. We gotta go to Al's pawn shop. This elderly man named Al is with Toots in the pawn shop. He's missing his bottom teeth. I love him. Mm-hmm. He comes back in season five and plays a rabbi. Oh, like very short, the same year, 2003, they literally called him up like a handful of months later. And they're like, can you come do something in season five? And he's like, for sure. Toots gives this little old man from Toy Story the fucking slip. And he's like, what is this slip for? And he hands Munch a necklace and Munch starts John demunching it and like inspecting it. Oh, and yeah. Al goes, oh, Bobby, ah, oh, look at you, a connoisseur. He said it exactly <laughs> like Linda Belcher. So anyway, Al says that he gave him a thousand bucks for this fucking necklace. Even though it was worth like three grand. But mm. on the back of the necklace, it says, love you forever, mom and dad or something. Yeah. Lo or love to you, Missy. Or it whatever. said to Missy with love, mom and dad. Yeah. Oh. Mm. And it was like worth like three grand. I love that Al was like, yeah, that idiot took a thousand. <laughs> you know, <laughs> in Rikers Island, Kressler and Missy are on one side of the table while Cabot holds up the heart-shaped locket from the pawn shop. Cabot lets Missy know that there is evidence that shows Eric is the one who pawned the necklace. And Missy's like, mm. Joey stole the necklace and gave it to Eric. It can't be proved. Kressler's trying to get her to chill and he fucking can't. She's like, lady, Joey's getting the death penalty. So fucking whatevs. Her yeah. attitude is just. She just doesn't. Yeah. Cabot's like, dude, Missy, Joey is testifying against you. You're going to be the one who gets the death penalty for killing your sister. And this mm -hmm. cold bitch stares her down and goes, she wasn't my sister. And there's this creepy music and scared ass Cabot watches this 
fucking yeah. children of the corn's eyes roll into the back of her head. It was just, it was, yeah. it was horror movie level. Yeah. She's like, do you think I, do you think I care? Do you think I feel sad Oof. or scared? You can't kill me because I'm already dead. Eye roll. But yeah, whatever. I was like, shut up. Oh, see, that made me go, oh, my heart aches for you. And also well, you're the worst. The writing, it's, it's just used so much. Yeah, It reminds true. me of some shit that like people that like the Joker, you know, would be like, I want to be Harley Quinn. And oh, you can't kill us. We're already dead together. <laughs> whatever. Fuck your <laughs> tattoos or whatever. It's like, <laughs> Cabot's walking outside of the courthouse and sees Peter. And he's like, can you maybe help to get Missy off the death penalty? Can you do something? And she's just like, ah, it's out of my hands. I, I can't do anything. Peter tries to argue that Missy is damaged and she should just be put in prison instead of getting the death penalty. She says that that's not true, that she really just has to follow the law. And fucking poor Peter walks away like super defeated and sad. Like he's still trying to save his daughter, even after she's done all this terrible <sighs> stuff. He's holding back tears as he walks down the stairs. Yeah, I know. I wanted to hug yeah. him. And that's the end of this. That's. That's fucking Toyota, dude. It's fucking Toyota. All right. All right. I'm excited. You you have pumped me up on this. I I said it just like a couple times where I was like, this is this is a lot. I don't know. I mean, if yeah. I say it and you're like, oh yeah, I've heard of that because it is one of the most famous cases in Canada. Okay. Let's do it. Let's do this shit. All right. Sisters Carla, Lori, and Tammy Hamolka were born in that order and raised in St. Catharines, Ontario, Canada. It's about two hours from Toronto and sits right on Lake Ontario. Carla, the oldest, was known to be a bubbly, bright, pretty, kind and gentle young person. I mean, they all kind of were. They all sort of had this affect. Her sister, Tammy, was very athletic and um, really loved soccer and was also just bright and bubbly. They had great friendships, relationships, whatever. They had this nice, idyllic little situation. As far as Carla goes, everybody knew that she wanted to be a vet someday and as a teen worked at Number One Pet Center, very involved with animals. In the fall of 1987, when Carla was 17, she met and began dating 23-year-old Paul Bernardo. Paul was charming and classically good-looking. He was living and working in Scarborough, a little over an hour away, and they grew very close very quickly. Dorothy and Carl, Carla's parents, were super welcoming to Paul, so they were able to spend a lot of time together. And eventually, Paul even moved in to live with the Homolkas. Mm. By Christmas of 1990, Paul and Carla were engaged. Christmas at the Homolkas was a big family gathering. And even though their youngest daughter, Tammy, was only 15, Dorothy and Carl allowed her to have a couple of drinks. Mm. Mm -hmm. Fast forward to 1 or 2 a.m. The house is upside down as Carla's telling the paramedics that she and Paul were on the couch when they heard Tammy fall behind them. They ran around to find her passed out, not breathing, with a big lump in her throat. Paramedics determined that she had passed out and choked on her own vomit, and it was chalked up to a sudden and tragic accident. Carla was inconsolable, oh and Paul was extremely upset as well and expressed the fact that he was scared of getting in trouble because he was the one who had given her alcohol. So everyone kind of kept that part hush-hush to protect him because it was an accident. Mm -hmm. Yeah. About a month later... Or was it? Or was it? About a month later, Carla and Paul moved out and bought their own place. Paul got Carla a Rottweiler puppy named Bud, and they had a beautiful home in a great neighborhood. Mm. Now put a pin in that. Put a pin on the whole Bernardo Homolka on the surface story. I don't want to. In the early morning of June 15th, 
1991, Leslie Mahaffey was heading home from a friend's house. She never made it there. She just disappeared. She was thought to be a runaway at first, so it was super downplayed because, you know, she was in a fight with her mom and her mom locked her out of the house and she's like outside at night because she was getting in trouble all the time, missing curfew, whatever. So the cops Mm -hmm. were like, well, she's just a teenager doing what teenagers do. So, So that was June 15th, 1991. On June 29th, this is six months after Tammy's death, Paul and Mm -hmm. Carla were married in a big fancy over-the-top wedding. But that same day, 18 miles away in Lake Gibson, Niagara, canoers discovered the dismembered body of a 14-year-old girl encased in cement. What? Leslie Mahaffey was later identified by dental records. Oh, my God. April 16th, 1992, 15-year-old Kristen French was abducted in the middle of the day from the front lawn of her church in St. Catherine. Witnesses said that a car pulled up. There were two people inside who got Kristen to stop and talk to them. When she began backing Mm -hmm. away, she was grabbed, pulled into the vehicle, and it took off. Thousands of people came to help search for Kristen. Then two weeks later, on April 30th, Kristen was found just steps into the woods off of a highway in that area. She was found naked, face down in the fetal position with all of her hair cut off. What in the fuck? Investigators immediately believed that Leslie and Kristen had been murdered by the same person. All that information, let's go back to Paul and Carla. I have yet to mention that throughout their relationship, there were signs that Paul was abusive towards Carla. She would explain away injuries at work. She spent less and less time away from Paul. A friend of Paul's even said that he had witnessed Paul not Carla nearly off her feet for handing him a drink incorrectly. What? Yeah. Jeez. This went on for years. And there came a point when Carla finally had enough. She was able to get to the police, and that was after a particularly brutal attack. The images of her that police took when she came in were, I mean, atrocious, the way her face looked. Mm. But she had a lot more than the abuse to tell them about. She claimed that Paul had killed both Leslie Mahaffey and Kristen French, and that he had videotaped assaults on both of them. She was willing to do everything she could to help put Paul away forever. Carla went on record and told investigators in these interviews that Paul would drive around stalking young women because he was looking to abduct, quote, sex slaves. On the night of 14-year-old Leslie's abduction, Paul woke up Carla and told her there was a girl in the basement and not to worry about it. Just go back to sleep. Okay. Leslie was held for days as he repeatedly raped her. Finally, he strangled her until she was dead. Carla's family was over for dinner just a few hours later with Leslie's body in the basement. Jesus. Carla said that Paul dismembered Leslie with a chainsaw and took her to Lake Gibson, where she was later found on Paul and Carla's wedding day. Oh, my God. After they were married, Carla told police Paul's violent behavior toward her escalated. He even started making her come out with him to look for potential victims and help him with the abductions. Mm -hmm. Kristen French, the girl who was taken from in front of the church, was walking home from school for Easter weekend. Mm -hmm. Carla told police that the plan was she would get out of the car with a map to ask for directions but leave the door open. Then Paul would come around and push Kristen into the car. And that's what happened. Kristen was held for nearly two weeks and subjected to inhumane torture and abuse, most of which was videotaped. Carla told police she was too afraid of Paul to help Kristen. And ultimately, Paul strangled Kristen as well before rolling her body in a carpet and dumping her naked body in the woods. Carla told police... How do I not know any of this? I don't know, dude. This is insane. I didn't either. It's Canada. What? What does that mean? I don't know. I mean... I guess. I don't know. Carla told police that 
Paul's going to do this shit again and he needs to be stopped. In these interviews, she mm-hmm. also told police that they had already been looking for him because he was the Scarborough rapist. <gasps> Who's the Scarborough what? rapist? I don't know. Between 1987 and 1990, the man known as the Scarborough rapist stalked, attacked, and violently assaulted multiple women. I mean, on its face, the act of rape is despicable. But to give a deeper context as to how depraved the shit was, this guy just took it to another level, especially as he escalated. He would make them Mm. say they loved him. Once he broke a woman's arm by stepping on it after an assault, he would... (sighs) penetrate women with a knife or sticks grind their faces into the dirt just humiliating brutal shit uh and then he would take their ids and leave them in terrible fear he even said to one victim i am the scarborough rapist and they'll never catch me no one ever got a good look at him because he would attack from behind but then on may 26 1990 a woman was approached by a man as she got off the bus it was like two in the morning and he talked to her for a minute before he grabbed her dragged her behind a building tied her up and raped her. This was the eighth attack by the Scarborough rapist. She was the only one who got a good fucking look at this guy. Yeah. Police sketch artist Betty Clark was able to create the image of the most wanted man in that area. The sketch was on the front page of the paper. It was posted in every fucking store. It was fucking everywhere. And it was spot on fucking Paul Bernardo. Oh my God. Now, At one point, Paul was called into the station to be interviewed because a couple of people called about him specifically. They were like, he's being kind of weird. He looks exactly like this sketch. I don't know. Yeah. But when he was interviewed, he volunteered his DNA. He was polite. He seemed extremely helpful. It threw Mm. them off when he was like, oh, you should take my DNA. You should, you know. Yeah. So it was like NBD. He left after that. And then after this attack, they stopped. This was also when Paul moved to St. Catherine. Oh. Carla told police that it was on their honeymoon that he told her that he was the Scarborough rapist. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. And then in February of 1993, the DNA results came back. It literally took two years at this time to process DNA. There, there was like one person who did DNA testing. So it, it just took a really long time. There was a big, long line to get DNA tests done. Yeah. And it was a perfect fucking match. So on February 17th, 1993, Paul was arrested for the murders of Kristen French and Leslie Mahaffey. And then with all of this Scarborough rapist information um, and Mm -hmm. confirmation they were given by Carla and the DNA results that they received, there were 16 more counts added to Bernardo's charges. This would be tried as a separate case. So in the case at hand, he's completely denying the murders of French and Mahaffey. All they have is Carla's word against Paul's. So police obtained a search warrant for the house because remember, there's fucking videotapes and they're looking for them. Yeah. They searched for 10 weeks, 71 days. They examined and tore that fucking place apart and they found nothing. Mm. Now, with only Carla's testimony, they had to be extremely careful and thorough. She was interviewed and assessed by psychiatrists. They decided that she had PTSD from the trauma and experiences with Bernardo. So she would be their star witness to try Bernardo for first degree murder. That's the charge they really needed to stick on him. Mm -hmm. Bernardo's lawyer, Ken Murray, I should say Bernardo's initial lawyer, Ken Murray mm-hmm. is a weaselly little shit. Okay. Of course. After no. the search warrant expired, the defense team went into the house with permission to do their own search. 
Murray mm-hmm. had instructions written on a piece of paper with a little map from Bernardo telling him where the tapes were hidden. Mm-hmm. They were in a ceiling above a light fixture in the bathroom, and there were six of them. Defense attorney Ken Murray withheld that evidence. His plan was to spring this on Carla during the trial while she's on the witness stand to implicate her and completely decimate the prosecution's case. Mm. Problem is, it's illegal for an attorney to conceal physical evidence. So why would this implicate Carla? Carla had admitted to police that she had participated by force in some of Paul's crimes against French and Mahaffey. Mm -hmm. Carla also revealed something else. Her sister's death didn't happen the way everyone thought it did. She told police that Paul was fixated on Tammy and continually pressured Carla about wanting her. Sometime before Tammy's death, Carla said she had begun impersonating her youngest sister to enhance sex for Paul. Oh, my God. She said, quote, he had me say, my name is Tammy. I'm 15 years old. I'm your virgin. I love you and I want to marry you. Carla said that Paul threatened that if she didn't assist him in acting on this, he just threatened her with violence. So the night of the Christmas party, Carla held a cloth covered in halothane near her sister's face, causing her to pass out. Halothane is used for anesthesia, and Carla stole it from the animal clinic that she was working at as a veterinary assistant. After the assault, Tammy vomited while she was sedated and choked. Carla and Paul attempted to resuscitate her and weren't able to do it, so they got rid of any evidence of what they had done and called 911. Because Carla had implicated herself, she needed some kind of deal for offering up Paul. Yeah. They needed to get Paul. Not only is Carla telling them that Paul is a kidnapper, a fucking murderer, a rapist, all of these. He he is the Scarborough rapist who, in the end, we find out assaulted, I think it was 17 or 18 total victims in, in that situation. Mm. So why would they punish her when she's the thing? She is like the fucking linchpin for getting them Paul, right? Mm -hmm. So they made a plea bargain with Carla. If she pled guilty to two counts of manslaughter in the deaths of Kristen and Leslie and testified against Bernardo, she would receive five years for each of their deaths, plus an additional two years for the death of her sister, Tammy. Mm -hmm. She would be eligible for parole in four years. So the most that she can get is 12. Okay. May 18th, 1993, Paul Bernardo Mm. was facing two counts of first-degree murder, two counts of unlawful confinement, two counts of kidnapping, two counts of aggravated assault, and one count of causing an indignity to a human body because of the dismemberment of Leslie. So these are the charges he's facing. They're getting ready for court. Good amount of time passes. September of 1994. Oh. Defense attorney Ken Murphy took himself off the case after it was found out that he had the tapes and sat on them for 15 months. Jesus. These tapes not only held the truth of what Paul Bernardo did to the girls, but also told a very different story about Carla's participation. Mm -hmm. Carla had left out and adjusted some very damning details. The truth about Tammy's death was that Carla had decided to give Tammy to her fiance as a Christmas gift. Jesus fucking Christ. The night of the Christmas party, the drink that Paul mixed for Tammy was laced with Halcyon, which is a tranquilizer, also stolen from the vet clinic where Carla worked. And once Tammy was passed out, Carla didn't hold the cloth with halothane near Tammy's face. She held it over her face, like, you know, when they chloroform somebody in a fucking movie. Yeah. She held it over her face and continued to hold it there over the course of the entire assault, which is insanely dangerous because you can die from that. Mm -hmm. Tammy was raped by Paul and Carla. 
The tapes even show Carla orchestrating some of this stuff herself. The paramedics asked the pair about the mark on Tammy's face when they came that night, and the two said it was from dragging her across the floor as they attempted to resuscitate her when it was, in fact, a chemical burn from the halothane. Jesus. Three weeks after Tammy's death, there's another video that the two had made that they called the fireside chat. It was of Carla talking about enjoying the rape and death of her sister. They went into Tammy's bedroom then on this video and Carla proceeded to dress in Tammy's clothes and role play as her sister and they had sex in Tammy's bed. This is three weeks after her sister died. Mm. When Tammy was exhumed, because they fucking exhumed her after this, notes and an invitation for Carla and Paul's wedding were found in the casket. The rest of the family did not know that they had slipped this in there. The tapes also show a different version of Carla than she presented in regards to the French and Mahaffey murders. She also raped and tortured both of those girls. I watched the Ken and Barbie killers. It was on Hulu, I believe. And it's like this four part series about these murders. And so there were people giving interviews about their experiences, like people that witnessed, people that saw the tapes. There were multiple people that were like, it was fucked up to watch how she conducted herself because it was very different than this victim that came in to help them put Paul away. She initiated a lot of stuff. One guy described her as he was like, there was one point in one of these videos, like when they were torturing this girl, where she turned around and looked at the camera and he's like, her eyes were just, there was nothing there, just cold, dead, you know, like shark eyes, like how they describe fucking murderers and shit. Yeah. Not only that, there's another victim on these tapes that Carla failed to mention to police. Initially unidentified, this Jane Doe is shown being drugged and raped by Paul and Carla. Carla brought her to the house and drugged her before Paul got home to surprise him. She was a friend of hers from work. Jane Doe was brought to the house and her drugging and assaults were recorded not once but twice. So The first time, Carla was like, oh, let's go have a girl's night and hang out and whatever. I mean, this was a young girl as well. So the reason she remains a Jane Doe was to protect her identity. Mm -hmm. But she was like, yeah, let's go have a girl's night. You know, she gave her alcohol and whatever. And then the girl woke up the next morning and thought that she had passed out because she drank too much. Very fucking Bill Cosby, you know? Yeah. So then that's why she went back. Carla's like, oh, come spend the night. Come hang out. Let's have a sleepover. And did it again. So this is what's on this video. Never told the police about this other person. And Carla was shown in these videos to be every much of a co-conspirator as Paul in these crimes. Mm -hmm. Also, Carla is the one who told Paul to murder Kristen French because they were leaving to go to her parents for Easter Sunday. And she was like, I knew she had to be gone. Mm -hmm. If that fucking defense attorney would have given the tapes to the police right away, Carla would not have gotten the deal. Yeah. But now she's protected because they still need Carla to be the star witness because the actual murders were not on the tapes Mm -hmm. and they wanted to get Bernardo for first degree murder. Okay, so they decide that they can't wipe the deal. They need her. She played them. She should have been sitting next to Bernardo at the defense table. But here we are. Right. The Crown, remember the, the prosecution in Canada is called The Crown? Mm-hmm. The Crown brought in an expert to say that Carla's trauma from Paul created amnesia, so of course she didn't remember Jane Doe. The defense brought in their own expert who disagreed with this assessment. I found this instance particularly disturbing 
One psychiatrist who evaluated Carla prior to her incarceration said, quote, she remains something of a diagnostic mystery. Despite her ability to present herself very well, there is a moral vacuity in her, which is difficult, if not impossible to explain. Weird. Which is like crazy. Like, because what are you? Like, where's the textbook thing that you can put on her? Yeah. The trial of Paul Bernardo was held in May of 1995. Now, prior to this, there had been a media blackout. The media was not allowed to talk about any details leading up to this because everybody was like, what the fuck's going on? And the judge was like, we can't put together a jury if the public is being informed on all this shit. So they couldn't tell. Nobody knew anything about Carla's deal or what everybody knew, like, okay, she got 12 years, but like, why? What deal was she given? What, you know, they knew it was manslaughter and then it was 12 years and that's fucking it. When Paul Bernardo's trial started in May of 1995, Mm -hmm. this media blackout was lifted. Mm. Uh, on the day of the trial. So everybody's going fucking ape shit. The media was calling these two the Ken and Barbie killers. It was all anybody talked about. Because of the tapes, the defense wasn't going to defend against any of the charges except the first degree murder charge because there was another possibility as to who was responsible for the deaths. Carla. Mm -hmm. The jury was shown the tapes. So there are like just 12 regular schmegular people watching video of rape and torture of 14 15 year old girls and the courtroom like the whole gallery full of onlookers could hear the audio but they couldn't see it even the parents of the victims they were there they stayed there oh god paul took the stand and testified that carla ultimately killed the girls leslie was blindfolded and he wanted to let her go but carla insisted that they kill her the same with Kristen. then carla took the stand And the defense dragged her for two fucking weeks. She went from a practiced, meek witness, you know, dressed. She went full beige, just like really trying to mute herself. Mm -hmm. But she got fucking shook and ended up showing this attitude. She presented herself with an arrogance and the jury fucking hated her for it. Mm. On August 31st, 1995, the jury deliberated. It took a full day overnight came back with a verdict the next morning, and Bernardo was found guilty on all nine counts. He was then charged with and tried for the manslaughter of Tammy Hamalka and the Scarborough rapes. So then he was designated as a dangerous offender and will never be outside of a prison ever again. Okay. All of Canada, they get this information during the trial about fucking Carla. All of Canada is completely outraged knowing that Carla would be out in 12 years or less. There were never charges brought against Carla for Jane Doe, and the deal was completely upheld. Carla was able to get a psychology degree from Queen's University while she was locked up, paid for by taxpayers. Mm. Oh, man. On July 4th of 2005, on my fucking 22nd birthday, Mm. Carla Homoka was released from prison. She served 12 years, never charged with sex crimes. She didn't even have to register as a sex offender. Holy shit. Poof, where'd she go? In 2016, the media found Carla. She had changed her name to Leanne Bordelais, became fluent in French, and moved to Quebec, where she was substantially less known than other parts of Canada. Because, you know, that's like French Canada. Yeah. She had married the brother of her defense attorney, and they had three kids. She's a serial murderer and a rapist. And the guy... Her defense attorney's brother knows that. What in the I don't actual know if he bought the fuck. fucking victims? Is she dead? Did she die? Tell me she died. Is she dead? She's dead, right? No. She lives in <sighs> Quebec. <laughs> what a wild story. What the fuck? 
I'm almost done. Oh, there's more. Multiple jurors would go on to be diagnosed with PTSD, depression, were suicidal, relationships fell apart, expert witnesses were traumatized, members of the media left their positions as a result. These tapes were that horrific, okay? The families of the victims fought for many years to have them destroyed, and they finally were. Mm -hmm. They destroyed evidence for the protection of these families. I mean, one of the moms was like, I saw an interview with her and she was like, you know, every time that these tapes are viewed, I don't care in what situation, it's taking something from my daughter. Yeah. You know, it's it's hurting her in some way. So there was a lot of relief when those tapes were destroyed. And Paul and Carla's house where the girls were tortured and killed was also taken down and destroyed. And Paul Bernardo is currently serving a life sentence. Man, that's insane. You say the little things called the Ken and Barbie killers? Yeah. That that was on Hulu? I think I remember seeing a thing for it. It's, yeah. I mean, if you want even more detail, because it's it's a four-part series, and it goes into a lot of detail... And a lot, I mean, a lot of really good interviews with people that were like involved in the case. Yeah. All right. Next week, we have season four, episode 12, Risk. A baby overdoses on cocaine. No. (laughs) I know. An infant overdoses on cocaine. So the detectives link baby food to a huge drug smuggling ring that is maybe run by a shit heel of a cop. And everyone's got to go undercover to flush them out. I remember this one. Yeah. It's fucking good, but oh, yeah. Okay. Okay, fine. <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> um, follow us on all social media at SVU Pod, please. Check out our Patreon. Become a patron. Support us financially and get extra bonus shit. Mm-hmm. Extra episodes, extra content in these episodes. Join our Facebook group, too, um, because I love it. <laughs> Gabe loves trolling you on it yeah. it i don't know yeah she just gabe really likes the facebook group i say that gabe does i do too yeah i pop in there when i open facebook i love to see shit in the group i love that people are like engaging with each other yeah it's really fun email us at svupod at gmail.com if you have anything you want to say to ghost us stories and ghost, ghost stories if you have a ghost story for game and rate and review us on and whatever you listen to us on if you haven't rated and reviewed us yet what are you doing what are you doing (laughs) five stars please (laughs) if you're gonna give us any stars give us five also hashtag little bit loud on instagram that's where you can find out like little indie pods yep Mm -hmm. support small independent podcasting hashtag little bit loud check it out yeah love you bye Love you. Bye. Love you. But I was hoping we could harmonize. Love you. Love you. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's not. I was doing the alto. (laughs) Love you, bye. Bye. Okay, so theme song. Do you want me to sing it? (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, In the hospital. I thought you were gonna do the thought you were doing Janie's got a gun. <laughs> Which brings us back to Clueless. Mm. Full Cirque. Somebody fucking talk. Like oh, there's a cartoon character. I know. Fuck. Forget it. Move on. Wait, 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 wait. Is it R2D2? The... No. No, you know who it is? Who? 
It's the um, Hawaii movie with a little alien. Oh my god, it's yes, it's Stitch from Lilo and Stitch. Oh yeah, thank you. Because that Hawaii have, movie with the alien. <laughs> that would have <laughs> the week the alien came to Hawaii. That movie? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm from Portage. I'm a bad bitch. <laughs> Fuck you. Pick a you different towny-ass like, town. I know. I should just do that. I'm from Wild Rose, and I'm a bitch. Oh, I don't I'm even from know. Wild Rose. <laughs> That's what I can think of. I'm from fucking Sock. That was for you, Abby. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from Sock. I'm from a Sock, and I have a tattoo. My boyfriend puts on Joker makeup. <laughs> that fucking Juggalos thing. for life, bitch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No offense to anybody that likes Juggalos, but offense to all of you. Yeah, come on. <laughs> and to our Elite Squad patrons, Haley K, Sonia W, Jenny S, Sky K, Marissa M, LKH, Annie G, Mary D, Andrew, Rebecca D, Miranda B, Shelby W, Lex, Emily T, Kayla W, Mallory G, Bonita R, Marin, Vanessa, Amy P, Jess M, Summer M, Melanie G, Courtney W, Ursula S, Emily A, Katrina C, Kate H, Uyanga. Nicole R, Julia P, Sapphire, Kayla, Allison B, Catherine M, Kate P, Jessica S, Nicole M, Acacia V, Danielle W, Leslie D, Joshua H, Tammy J, Sarah G, Crystal, Lucy M, Trisha S, Sam D, Laura D, Laura I, and Sarah. We love you and appreciate you. Thank you so much. Everybody, you're the best. You're the best. All right. We're going to stop this now. Be doop. Be doop. Mm-hmm.